Hey, welcome to our online sermons at Coastal Community Church. So glad that uh, you're checking these sermons out on our internet and, and on our website. And so I want to welcome you. And, and I do want to encourage you that these sermons, online sermons, should be a supplement to your spiritual growth. But one of the things that we're big believers in at Coastal Community Church and I uh, want to encourage you is to find a home church uh, where you can not only grow in teaching, but also grow in community with other believers. So if you don't have a home church near you and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to invite you to Coastal Community Church. We just recently moved uh, to 101 Village Avenue. We have two services, uh, 915 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out one of our services. I love this song, Restoration. Um, I'm thankful. It took two of you. I used to do it by myself. That's, anyway, but um, thank you guys. I love the song, Restoration, because there's times my soul has needed res- restoration, and the Lord has restored my soul, and uh, the Lord has restored relationships around me. Uh, I've seen the gospel of Christ restore some of you all and your relationships, and, and I mean, it's just great to meditate on the restoration of the Lord. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Philemon. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. Okay, we'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God and, uh, and read that every day and, and have God speak to you, teach you, and mold you into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, God just got back from the men's retreat. Uh, it was, for me, it was physically exhausting. I am exhausted. Uh, I know that, I, I keep calling it a retreat. I know the men want to call it an offensive uh, because they said men don't retreat. However, we were playing volleyball and uh, I was on a team and Pastor Jeff, who's about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, is on the team behind me and someone hit him a shot that was going to be a perfect spike into my face. And I was right in front of him. And so here's how I defended that. I tuck-tailed and ran. And he, shot, he spiked the ball right into my keister, and I felt like Forrest Gump. You know, I got shot in the buttocks, so you know how to think? So uh, only I wasn't being nearly as brave as Forrest Gump. So, um, yeah, it was a great time, man. If you missed it, I hope you'll uh, at least get in a men's group and join us next year. And, and so we've been, we've been doing a series in this very little letter called Philemon. And, and I hope you have your notes, and it lends itself towards forgiveness restoration, and and some very difficult topics. And so we're going to cover those this morning, and I'm working with the thoughts and the idea that we're a group of people that are mature and and can have some serious conversation about things. I um, I remember many years ago, I was helping my oldest son do, and I specifically remember being math homework. So that probably means it was, he was probably in kindergarten because I haven't been able to help with math homework since then, right? And some of y'all are like, once we got past simple addition, I was like, I don't know. So I don't even know why they're putting an X in a problem. So anyway, uh, is it math supposed to be about numbers? So anyway, that's where you lost me. But I was helping him with homework and he wasn't getting what I was trying to teach him and the way I was trying to teach him. And, and as time went on, I grew more and more frustrated with him not getting his homework, not understanding what I was trying to show him, that one plus one equals two. And so, um, you know, we're working through this problem, and finally, over time, he began to get what I was showing him. But all the while, while he was getting it, wasn't getting it, I was growing more impatient, and my, I, w- I was being shorter with him, and my tone grew worse as time went on. And then when he had finished, and he had finished his homework sheet, he looked at me, he was just a young kid, he looked at me, and he hugged me, and he said, Dad, thank you so much for helping me with my homework. And I'm like, what a jerk I am. You know, what? Oh, my goodness. What I do deserve that, you know? And so we're talking about reconciliation. The challenge this morning is going to be a hard issue, right? And are we, last week, I, I sent us home, and, and we prayed about, hey, there's, you know, I, I said, hey, I want to, I want to encourage you to to think about that person in your life that's hurt you and just begin to pray for them. Nothing else, just begin to pray. And so today we're going to end with, man, is God, can God change your heart towards that person so that you can be forgiving, so that you can be loving? And I, I labeled this sermon, The Church, The Hope of Peace on Earth. If you're here this morning, you're the hope. If you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're the hope of peace on earth. In fact, over Christmas time, right? I mean, uh, during the TSO week, one of the, the, the folks that came in, I mean, we sang a song, their opening song that we sang together 
was peace on earth and goodwill towards men, which they, they got from Luke chapter 2, right, where the angels show up to these shepherds and they sing in this chorus. What do they sing? Glory to God in the highest and what, church? Peace on earth, right? And sometimes we think, like, peace on earth to me feels like this kind of this nebulous thing out there. Like, what exactly is peace on earth? It starts with us. And I challenged us last week that if the gospel of Jesus Christ is it's not impacting us in the church, and we can't work towards reconciliation, and we can't work towards forgiveness, and we can't work towards peace on earth in here, then, then it's not going to trickle over out there. Church, you're the hope of peace on earth. And, you're, and that becomes an individual thing as you work towards peace with those in your circle of friendship and your, your circle of influence. So we've been We've been taking a, a journey through this little letter called Philemon. So just a quick reminder of context. I spent more time on it last week. If you missed it, watch the video. But you know, we, we, I spent some time on this idea that the Apostle Paul is a, is a prisoner, probably in Rome. He, he meets a man named Onesimus, and he leads him to Christ. So now Onesimus is a believer, and in this relationship that he's developed with Onesimus, he finds out that he is a runaway slave from a guy by the name of Philemon, who's probably in the city of Colossians. And Paul actually led Philemon to Christ as well. So now he's got a relationship with both of these, and he is now sending Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter that we now have canonized in the scripture. And he's sending it back with this letter asking for a reconciliation of two brothers in Christ. And so this morning, that's where we're going to start. So look with me at Philemon verses 8 through 12. So last week we talked about the beginning stages of praying and, and beginning to think about how do we restore relationships. So now Paul gets into the meat of it. 8 through 12. That is why Paul, writing back to Philemon, I boldly ask a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. <clears throat> but because of your love, I simply prefer to ask you, consider this as a request from me, Paul. And by the way, I love this, right? I love this next thing. It's, he, he goes, consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man and also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. It's like, yeah, right, you know. Who's the comedian that does the I walked on the moon? Like there's people who have a story in life that you just can't top, right? The, so the people that have been on the moon, no matter how great your life is, how great your story is, they're going to go, I, I walked on the moon. Yeah, I can't beat that one. So, uh, so Paul's appealing, like, man, I'm, I'm an old guy and I'm in chains. So please consider this very, and I said last week, like this letter is a very tender letter of the Apostle Paul, probably the most relational letter we have of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. He says, I'm an old man, I'm, I'm in prison for the sake of Christ, verse 10, and I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while he was here in prison, and Onesimus hasn't been much use of you, to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my heart. It's relational now. And Paul says, as we move towards reconciliation, we move towards forgiveness, now it's relational and Paul says, I could command you, I could demand it, I'm, the, I'm an apostle, there's a spiritual submission here, and, and I could command that you take him back, but, but Paul recognizes that there's a better way to, to motivate someone. There's a better way to encourage someone. In fact, if you've ever been in a leadership position, there's a better way to motivate people than just commanding it and obedience. It's the motive of love. In fact, you're beginning to see, if, you, if you're tuned to the sports world, right? And I know even in here, we probably have a lot of coaches at various levels. Like the coaching, the whole coaching industry is beginning to move towards this idea of family relationship. Like, you know, work out in the off season to, because we're a team, we're a family. And, and in the family, we love and we protect, you know? And so there's this, even in the sports world, even in the business world, we're beginning to get this idea of man, we function together as a family. The New Testament, even though there's a spiritual leadership thing in the home, husbands are to be spiritual leaders at home, but they're commanded in Ephesians 5 to love their wives. And parents, we're told to, to bring up our children in the discipline and the admonition of the Lord. But even in that, we're commanded to do it in such a way that it's, it's out of the idea of love. Don't, uh, Ephesians 6, 4, Paul says, don't provoke your children to anger. Do it in such a way that, that, that you know, it's in, the, it's in the relational context 
of love. And so the motive that Paul gives to Philemon to take Onesimus back is that of love and kindness. We looked at this verse last week, Ephesians 4.32, where Paul says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Uh, there's a great, I hope you make use of this, by the way, on Coastal's website. We, there, we have a blog that's written each week that prepares you for the Sunday morning corporate worship service. And Nate Weiss, I think, think this week. Nate, where are I? I saw you. You wrote it, right? All right, so you're to blame. Um, so no, he wrote, a, he wrote a great blog on forgiven people forgive. In other words, this kind of ties into where we were last week. Like the motive is love because we've been forgiven. If you're... If, If you don't understand the gospel, you're not going to be a person that's generous with forgiveness. See, the gospel is this, that that mankind in our hearts were in rebellion to God. And in that rebellion to God and his character and his justice, what we deserve is to bear the punishment and the wrath of God, and it is to be eternal. But God in his grace and in his mercy clothed his son in flesh. His his son walked planet earth. He lived a perfect life. He bore the wrath of God for my sin on the cross. He rose from the grave, authenticating who he was. And so when we bow a knee to the lordship of Christ, we get what we don't deserve instead of what we do. And that, yeah, only one person thinks that's great news, all right? That's great news. But that great news then overflows into our relationships with one another because we realize, man, I'm a person that's been forgiven much. Therefore, I can be someone that grants forgiveness freely. And so Paul has this, uh, uh, Nesson, by the way, I I want you to just picture this, right? Because this is what we're about to get into. Paul sends Onesimus, who's a slave, and and under the law of Rome at the time, Philemon actually could have punished Onesimus severely. And he sends him back with this letter. And so Onesimus has to believe that God is working in the heart of Philemon. And this is very important because the gospel changes people. The gospel changes people. Philemon chapter 11, I mean verse 11 and 12. Onesimus Paul says, hasn't been much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and he comes with my own heart. Now, this is actually a play on words. The the name Onesimus actually means profitable. Okay, and so Onesimus to Philemon hasn't been profitable, probably stole from him. Okay, he hasn't been a profitable uh, uh, slave in this relationship. He's run away. He's stolen his stuff. And so Paul, it's kind of a play on words. He's like, he's a different man now. He's, he's been renewed by the gospel of Christ. And he used, in the past, you know, his past is the past. He's now a new man in Christ. And this is essential to the idea of forgiveness and reconciliation. The idea that the Holy when we become a Christian and we're forgiven of our sins, the God of the universe has forgiven us because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible, and this is very important, tells us that we get a deposit of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and he's molding us and shaping us more and more into the image of God's son, Jesus Christ. We are now as Christians, we're growing to be more like Christ. This is very important. One of the things I do when when I do some marriage counseling, when people come to me and their marriages are struggling, I oftentimes start with, especially if I don't know them very well, I start with, you know, are you a Christian? And if they come to me and they say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay, tell me what it means to be a Christian. Well, I believe God exists and I try to be good. I know that's not a Christian, and the reason it's important that I know that that's not what it means to be a Christian is now I know they don't really understand what forgiveness is. And if they think it's just walk around and you know God exists and you be good, then when the other person hasn't been good to you, then you don't know the idea of forgiveness. Only a forgiven person can really grant forgiveness. And so then we have to go through the gospel. And the reason we have to go through the gospel, and I have to understand that this person's a believer, is because once the person's a believer, then we can know that the Holy Spirit is living inside of them and molding them more and more in the image of Christ, which means they're going to begin to hate the things that God hates, and they're going to begin to love the things that God loves, and they're going to begin to be able to, and so the two parties are going to begin to be able to trust that God is living via the Holy Spirit inside the other person. 
I want you to think about that in your marriage relationship. Like, you don't have to spend all your time trying to get that other person to change. God is in there via the Holy Spirit changing them into the image of Jesus Christ. Right? And so you can start to focus on you. Like, man, what are my issues? How do do I change? And so Onesimus is... I want you to see this mutual trust in the the gospel between Onesimus and Philemon. Onesimus stands in front of Philemon, trusting that the Holy Spirit lives inside of Philemon, and and therefore Philemon is going to do the right thing because he's a Christian man. And meanwhile, Philemon is going to work towards restoration with Onesimus, knowing that he went away an unbeliever, but now he's a believer. And so the Holy Spirit lives inside of him, molding him and changing him more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And so both these parties need to trust that God is working through the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit. Because a Christian understands humility and a Christian understands empathy the Christian understands the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's molding us more in the image of Christ. And so we are acting out of love. And the second thing is we're also, love changes the way we work in relationships. Love changes and operates with the idea of respect for others. Love functions in such a way that we respect others. So in Philemon verse 13 and 14, Paul says... I wanted to keep him here with me while I am in these chains for the preaching of the good news. And he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. So there's a respect for Philemon. I wanted you to help because you were willing and not because you're forced. So once again, Paul says, here's what I could have done. But love always seeks the right thing and the highest good of others. I want you to think about that. When you love someone, you're always thinking about how can I treat them and do the right thing that honors the Lord, and how can I seek their highest good? Because now we're not, we're, not, we're not operating out of obedience, just obey because I'm in charge. It's, it's, it's an idea of love. What's the best thing? Love operates with the idea of empathy. Love operates with the idea that I'm, <clears throat> I'm walking in the shoes of another person. Last week, I started my sermon with our differences, right? How in this room, as we gather corporately, like we, we come from all walks of life, and there's a lot of cultural and worldly differences. I'm going to end this morning with how we're unified, okay? And one of the things that was really neat, after I left, I had a soul many African-American families come up to me and say, Pastor Sean, I just want to thank you for encouraging our white brothers and sisters just to walk through life with some empathy. I had so many. I'm going I'm to act like for a moment that we're, I'm talking to a very mature group, right? So, so we can handle a little bit of conversation. I had some fantastic conversations this week on the idea of peace and reconciliation. And remember last week I said, if we can't work together in unity inside the church, there's no hope for the culture, right? And so I talked to some of our police officers and law enforcement that work, that, that call this their church home. We had some, some interesting and tough conversations about, hey, the African-American community is feeling this way about our law enforcement, and we have to walk in empathy, Right? And then I had some, some conversations with our African-American brothers and sisters, and I had, we had to talk about, hey, our law enforcement, they do an incredibly dangerous job. Like, they never know when they walk up to a, to a vehicle if it's just a regular traffic stop or if it's going to turn violent. And so they're all, they, they, they live a life really on edge. And we have to respect and we have to appreciate that. That's empathy. And if we can't empathize because our hearts have been changed, by the gospel and we don't love others, then if we can't do that in here, we're, it's not going to happen out there, right? And this, this, this makes a difference in your marriage. Like, you know, you come home and it's a long day of work and you're just hoping you can veg and your spouse starts saying, hey, could you do X, Y, and Z? All right. If you don't take a moment to go, man, you know what? They, they've had, I forgot they had a really tough day today. It's empathy. We should... 
church leaders, if you're in this room, you're a church leader at Coastal, like you should empathize with our membership, right? And, and you got volunteers you're working with and they put in long weeks and, you know, they got all their worldly responsibilities and, they, you know, maybe, man, what if they forget that they signed up to volunteers? We should be, have empathy. And church members, you should empathize, you know, with your church leadership and, you know, what... Listen, I, the, the thing I love about the presidential inauguration is I, I just love to see every year, every four years or eight years, depending, the change of power without there being violence. And just a respect for this office. And one of the things I very rarely get up here and preach against the president of the United States, whether it's the person I voted for or not, because I, I, I go, man, that's just... It's an important office with a lot of stress and a lot of tough decisions. As Christians, we should be praying for that office and that person. And so we walk with empathy. Why? Because love changes. We we operate differently when we're operating out of love for others. And it makes us consider the other person and walk in empathy rather than a sense of compulsion. And, and Paul knew the power of that, and he tries to encourage Philemon in that as he receives Onesimus. The final thing I want you to see here this morning is this. The church should be the hope of peace on earth. The church should be the hope of peace on earth. If, they, if we can't have reconciliation inside the church, the culture has no cho- chance of reconciliation. This should be the place where we reconcile and we work together for the good of the gospel. Reconciliation starts here. And so look at verse 15 of Philemon. He says, it seems you lost Onesimus for a little while. By the way, circle in your handout, circle the word it seems. All right, I'm going to park there for a minute. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. Verse 16, very important verse. I think it's, and this is the verse I'm going to park on in just a moment about slavery, okay? He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. And now he will mean much more to you, both as a man, circle the word man, and as a brother, circle the word brother, in the Lord. Two things in these final two verses about how the church works together for reconciliation. Number one, we have to view life through the lens of the sovereignty of God. We have to view life through the lens of the sovereignty of God. Paul says, it seems you lost Onesimus. Some of your versions of the Bible say, for this is perhaps why... By the way, I believe this is a little bit of tongue-in-cheek because I want you to think about this for a minute. Think about the dynamics Paul's dealing with here. He's probably in a Roman prison. Somewhere in a Roman prison, he comes across this runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. He has the privilege of being a part of leading Onesimus to become a follower of Jesus Christ. In this relational time, Onesimus and Paul, he discovers that he is a runaway slave with another guy that Paul led to Christ. A guy by the name of Philemon who lives in a totally different city, probably Colossae. And Paul's sitting here going, hey, do you think by, do you think this is, Philemon, do you think this is chance? Uh Uh-uh. No, maybe perhaps, perhaps God had his hand in this, right? And I think what he's trying to encourage Philemon with is, listen, your life, Philemon. Hey, Philemon, it's no accident that Onesimus showed up at my jail cell. And it's no accident I got to lead him to the Christ. And finally, it's no accident that I got to lead you to Christ. And it's no accident that now here I am in the middle reconciling brother to brother in uh, reconciliation. God is sovereignly at work. Now that's not just for Philemon and Onesimus. That's for us. So the next time you're fussing with your spouse, and we do this, right? These thoughts pop into our head, right? You're fussing with your spouse. Things aren't going very well. And suddenly you start thinking, you know, maybe, maybe God didn't r- really bring us together. I mean, when I think back 20 years ago, like, I don't know. Like, maybe I missed God's will. <clears throat> All right. Like, no. 
Like there's, God didn't go, God's not in heaven going, oh yeah, you married the wrong person. I didn't, I wasn't in control of those facts 20 years ago. Oops, let that one slip through my hands. Uh, yesterday at the men's offensive, you know, one of the, uh, the guest speaker that we had, Pastor Rob, he, he was sharing a story in between the meetings. With, he recently had a counseling appointment where a man and a woman were leaving their current spouses and were, wanted, were asking if they could get married because God had willed it. God had ignored his word in other places so that it could sin in and, and then come together because that was God's will. Like that's how we begin to think. Let me tell you something. The spouse that you're married to is not an accident, and God brought them to your side, not necessarily to make you happy, though a great relationship, a healthy relationship will grow in happiness, but more than that, to make you holy. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, God has brought everything in your life with the purpose of shaping you more and more into the image of God's Son. You need your spouse to become more like Christ. It's not an accident. It's not an accident how much money you do or don't have right now. Do you ever think about that? I don't have any money. God, I don't have any money. Not a surprise to him. And by the way, a whole other sermon topic for another day. Like if you're not generous when you don't have a lot of money, you won't suddenly be generous when you get money. If you're sitting there thinking, I'll get more generous when I get more money. Eh, you'll just buy more stuff. Okay, that's all you do. You just buy more stuff. It's not an accident if you have this dream in your heart, you know, start a business or whatever it is in your dream in your heart, you know, and it just hasn't come to fulfillment yet. Like, why hasn't that come to fulfillment? That's my dream. It's, it's a dream. It's not an accident. There's a great little story in the Bible, man. I, it's, probably, it's probably one of my favorite Bible stories. I, I want to encourage you. In fact, write this down, okay? It's, it's, th- it's 13 chapters in the Bible, but, man, you can probably read it in 20 minutes. It's Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 50. It's the story of Joseph. And some of y'all know the story, but I think one of the major themes of the story of Joseph is the sovereignty of God. Because we're talking about reconciliation and hurt and people that hurt us. And this story is full of pain. And God using that to work together for good. I mean, you know the story of Joseph, right? He was, the, he was the second youngest of 12. And as you read the story, you found out pretty quickly he's, he's dad's favorite. And parents, you know. I mean, this is a little parent secret, right? Yeah, I mean, you know who the favorite is, right? Anyway, no, come on. We love them all the same. I just don't like that one, that one, and that one right now. You know, like a, and the home I grew up in, I'm still, I'm like, I tell my sister all the time, I'm like, your mom and dad's favorite. It's fine. You're a great person. You deserve it, you know, but, you know, you're, you're the favorite. So he was the favorite, and, and everybody knew it. The other 12 knew it, right? And they knew it because he had the special jacket, right? He got the special coat. I mean, all the other kids, man, they got to wear Redskins jackets. He gets a Seahawks jacket, right? It's, so he's the favorite, right? He's like, oh, it's not fair, and, you know, and he's the favorite. And, and then he's a jerk about it, too, because in his youth and experience, he's very braggadocious. God gives him these dreams that his brothers are going to bow down to him. Probably should keep that to himself. But instead he goes to his older brothers. He's like, hey, you're not going to believe this. Like one day you're going to bow down to me. That always goes well with the older brothers, right? Like, you know, and so they're sick of it. And so one day they come up with this horrible scheme to sell him into slavery. And they take his Seahawks jacket and they bring it home. They tell the dad that, you know, he, he was killed by an animal. So his dad thinks he's dead. Terrible use of a Seahawks jacket, all bloodied up and stuff, and and he's in slavery. But God's with him. See, God hurt by his bro- his siblings at deep, deep levels. But God's not done. And so God's with him, right? And so he gets sold this guy's name Potiphar's house. And so, you know, Potiphar, you know, he, God's with him. He begins to rise up in Potiphar's house. And you kind of get the indication that, like, Potiphar's running a pretty big operation here. And eventually, Joseph kind of rises up into leadership because he's a leader. And God's with him. And all this stuff's happening. And suddenly, he's in charge of everything that Potiphar has, except for one problem in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife, every time Potiphar goes away, Potiphar's wife keeps throwing herself at him, making a pass at him. Finally, she kind of corners him in the bedroom one day and says, come on, you know, let's, let's just do it. That's what she says. It's in the book. See, you're going to read that story this afternoon, aren't you? Like, oh, I may read it. 
He, he wrestles away and he leaves his outer garment behind. And so here she is. She's embarrassed, right? Because he, he wouldn't be intimate with her. And so Potiphar comes home. She lies. Hey, your slave you brought in the house, he tried to molest me. And once again, Potiphar takes him, throws him, I want you to know Joseph's at the lowest of the low. Hey, God, this isn't fair. God's, God hadn't forgotten Joseph. God, God is sovereign. Right? So he does what he's supposed to do in jail. And again, God's with him, rises him up in, pro, in prison. The prison guard puts him in charge of the whole prison. And one day, we don't know how long, but one day, these two guys show up that, used, that work for Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the most powerful person in all the known world at the time. And he gets, Pharaoh gets mad at his cupbearer and his baker, and he throws them into prison. And these two have a dream, right? They have dreams. And, and so God gives Joseph the ability to interpret the cupbearer's dream. And so basically he tells the cupbearer, hey, listen, here's what your dream means. And here's what's going on. In three days you're going to be restored and you're going to get all these blessings. The cupbearer's like, man, that's awesome. Well, the baker overhears this. He's like, oh, maybe my, I, got, so I had a dream. So he tells him his dream. And Joseph says, here's your dream. In three days you're going to be dead. Ah, uh, maybe I should have kept that dream to myself, you know, so... And exact, both of those happen. And so Joseph, to the cupbearer, says, listen, when you get back to, with, with Pharaoh, don't forget about me. And he forgets about him. And two more years, Joseph's in prison, just doing the tedious day-to-day prison life without anything good or safe or soft or easy, just hard. Until one day, Pharaoh has a dream. So it's an amazing story. And so Pharaoh has his dream, and, and the cupbearer then remembers, wait, there's this guy in jail. He, I forgot. He interprets dreams. Go get him. So Joseph gets brought before Pharaoh. What's really cool when he shows up, he doesn't just come with a dream interpretation. He comes with a plan because he knows what the dream is. He interprets it, and he tells Pharaoh, here's what I think you should do. Pharaoh is so impressed, he makes this guy vice president. In two days, he goes from jail to VP. It's incredible, right? Like, how does that happen? It happens because God is sovereign. There's no accidents in your life. There's whatever's going on. You're thinking, man, this isn't fair. Like, God, he's using it to weave together the opportunity to make Christ famous. That's what he's doing. And God is using your circumstances. God is even using the times that you have been sinned against for good. And if you know the rest of the story, God ends up using Joseph, right? His brothers famine and his brothers come and he does end up saving his brothers. And his brothers do end up bowing down to him. And they do end up moving, all 12 of them move into Egypt. And what God is doing is a part of this way bigger plan where he incubates these 12 people that become the 12 tribes of Israel that they grow into a mighty nation that God then raises up Moses. And through this mighty nation comes the savior of the world. Fascinating. All while Joseph's sitting in prison going, this ain't fair. God's forgotten. I've been abused. And he could have held grudges, but yet God was working things together. And so Paul says to Onesimus, maybe just by chance God's hand was in this. So as you're sitting here today, and last week I asked you to start to begin praying for that person that hurt you. Maybe just by chance God is using that for good in your life, in the life of the others, and some, something bigger than you can even see or think about. And then we get to verse 16. I'm going to park here and talk about what in the world does the Bible have to say about slavery. Ready? Because when I initially read verse 16, my first thought was, this would have been the perfect place for the Apostle Paul to say, now receive him back as a free man because we know that slavery is a sin. I would have loved to have seen that in the scripture because I, that seems like this would be the spot to do that. Now what I hope to show you is that Paul was after something way deeper than just a cultural transformation. So let's, let's park here for a minute. I believe... That slavery is one of the great sins of Western and American culture in our history. And I believe that we are still suffering the consequences of that sin in 2017. So let's talk about it. So, so if you're like me, you would say, man, I wish the Bible spoke more to this. Like, so I want to give you three handles. I could give you more. Let me give you three. Here we go. Ready? Number one. 
As we read our Bibles, we have to remember the main goal of the Bible is not to address every social issue and every social injustice. It does cover them from varying degrees, but the main goal of the Bible is how God, our creator, is glorified by reconciling sinful man to himself through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the main goal. So when you read your Bible, that's the overarching theme. With that, there are many issues like slavery that the Bible does teach are morally wrong and sinful. However, if you're like me, you go, man, I'd like to have more on that. And the Bible doesn't always offer that. And specifically, I would love it if in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels gave us even more of these things with Jesus directly speaking to them. For example, slavery. I wish Jesus said more about slavery. I wish Jesus said more about gay marriage. I wish Jesus spoke more about abortion and protecting the preborn. All three of these, I think, the Bible shows us are considered sinful and unrighteous. However, I wish the Bible had given us more. With that said, I do believe the Bible teaches slavery to be morally wrong. I'm going to give you two verses. I could give you more. Okay, let me give you two. I was reading this in Jeremiah. I've been reading through the Old Testament on my own. Spending a lot of time there. And as God is sending the nation of Israel into into slavery themselves as a, as a discipline for their lack of pursuit of righteousness. One of the kings, Jehoiakim, he uh, is, God is directly talking about slavery in verse 22, Jeremiah 22, verse 13, where he says, And the Lord says to this king, What sorrow awaits you, Jehoiakim, who builds his palace with what? What's it say, church? Forced labor. He builds injustice into his walls. I think it's very clear. Forced labor is an injustice. Builds injustice into his laws for he makes his neighbors work for nothing. He does not pay them for their labor. Which, by the way, you could even build a, a principle here about uh, those of us who are business owners. That you, you run a business and try to pay your people well. That's a whole other topic. 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul writes this in verse 21. He says, are you a slave Don't let that worry you. But if you get the chance to be free, what's he say? Why? Because freedom's better. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. And if you were free in them, I think Paul here is kind of really making us think, right? If you're free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave to Christ. So number one, the Bible does teach that slavery is morally wrong, that it's sinful. Do I wish it gave us more? Yes, But I think it gives us enough. Number two, the second handle I want to give you. The Bible's main goal is not to cure every social injustice out in the culture, but to change mankind from the inside out. Right? I just built the whole case that nothing is more powerful than a changed heart, than us to be motivated by love. And so the Bible is trying to change us from the inside out. And that is why I think verse 16 of Philemon is so incredibly powerful. Paul doesn't address the cultural issue of slavery. He addresses the heart of man. Paul says, Philemon, he's no longer a slave to you. He's more than a slave. He is a beloved brother. Especially to me, now he will mean much more to you, both as a what? He's talking about humanity, right? This is a man. This is not property. This is the image of God is stamped on every human being, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Men and women are made in the image of God. He's talking about humanity. And I think what Paul's doing here is radical. And man, if I can change one man's heart in this church, in Colossae, in Colossae, man, it could change the world. And he's also a brother in the Lord. In other words, you can't be a Christian and abuse a brother in Christ. I read a quote this week as I was doing some reading on this. It said, 
if you destroy the abuses of slavery, by, its very, by that very nature, you destroy slavery. In other words, slavery is an abuse of the image of God on man. So if you destroy the abuses, you destroy it completely. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul here is doing. Number three. In ancient, is my third handle I want to give you. There's more. I'm going to stop after this. In ancient Near Eastern culture, slavery was not racial. And so I think it's very easy as we read our Bible to import the sin of Western slavery onto the scriptures. The sin in Bible times was not, ra- it was not strictly race. It was not one race as a slave and a, another race as a master. In fact, there are instances in ancient Near Eastern culture and Bible culture where a person would sell themselves into slavery in order to pay a debt. Or a person would, would even consider a betterment of lifestyle to, to be a slave with a generous and kind slave owner. Now this does not change that slavery is a demeans the image of God in a person by treating them as property instead of humanity. I'm just trying to give you some context. C.S. Lewis wrote this in an article sent to me this week. said, mankind is so fallen that no man can be trusted with unchecked power over his fellows. That's true. So those are three handles that I want to give you. Now, I want to address slavery in our culture now. You ready? Did you know that there are more slaves on planet Earth right now than at any time in history? But it's not racial. It's sex trafficking. 75 to 80% of slaves right now are mostly, not all, but mostly women that are being sex trafficked across the globe. It's very hard to get statistics on this problem because of its very nature. And by the way, let me, let me just encourage you, if you're here this morning, men and women, and you're struggling with a pornography, you're part of the problem. Because that's where this garbage is coming from. And I would encourage you, if that's your sin, to repent and get accountability to help us overcome this injustice and this evil. In America, the suspicion is there's about 14,000 women in America that are being sex trafficked. For their pimps, these women make about a quarter of a million dollars a year. So it's big business. One recently arrested pimp said that for $10,000 he can buy a woman and make that money up in a week. The church, this should break our hearts. I'm gonna, I'm, I may be getting out ahead of myself, but I, I just want to sh- sh- throw out as a prayer request, okay? Just a prayer request. Myself and Pastor Andrew, we, we've, be, we've begun to pray about, man, how, how can Coastal be a part of that solution? Did you know that in America, if, if a woman is rescued from sex trafficking, if, if one of our uh, law enforcement finds a woman caught in sex trafficking, there are some things in place to help them, but not nearly enough. Did you know in America, of these 14,000 women that are being sex trafficked, if they decide, if one of them decides to leave the industry, there's only 400 beds available in America for these women to find a place to sleep and get rehabbed. And so we've begun to pray about, man, what could Coastal do, right? I don't know how many of you remember, but way back when we started the Beyond Campaign, one of the things I talked about is, man, we eventually, man, we've been praying about, there's eight acres of property right behind us. Now, that property is currently under contract, not by us, okay? So, but it, so it may sell, but if it doesn't, we've, we've prayed about, Lord, could we, could we purchase that and build some homes for missionaries, for abused women? Like, this is the long-term vision, it's why when I stand up here and we talk about fundraising, like, like the church is after our money. No, the church is after, Coastal's after making a difference for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're just scratching the surface of what God wants us to do here on the peninsula to make Jesus famous. And so we're, the, you know, and Coastal has a little bit of property in, in Gloucester. We have some 
piece of property in our old building. We still own a little piece up there. So we're just beginning to investigate, like, God, can we be a part of the solution? So could you, would you pray for us? It's why I want you to take baby bottles home. Fill them up with change and bring them back. Did you know that 45% of unwanted pregnancies, 45% of all pregnancies are unwanted, and of those, 40% end in abortion. The most dangerous neighborhood in America is the womb of an American mother. Woo. And CareNet's doing a great job of saving babies and saving lives. I want you to be a part of that. I want you to be in prayer. God, what would you have Coastal do? Be a part of, mod- to be a part of eradicating modern day slavery. I want to be a part of that, don't you? Am I the only one? I want to be a part of that. Let's give that prayer. And I believe that verse 16, Apostle Paul is sowing the seeds of abolishing all slavery. All slavery. In the hearts of mankind. And he, it begins with the church. He says the church is a family. We use the words, like if you're new to church life, and they're like, why do they always use the word Brother. Sister, that's weird, right? It's this idea that the church, the Bible's very clear, the church becomes a family, and it's a family from every culture and background and tribe and tongue and nations, and we, we come together and we partner to make Christ famous. We treat each other different. The person next to you, I love that Paul uses the term, he, he says to Philemon, Onesimus is now a beloved brother. That person next to you, that person in front of you, that person behind you, if they're here this morning, they're a Christian. They are a beloved brother and sister in the Lord. They're valuable to Christ, and so they're valuable to us. I hear you, but I'm about done. So oh, here we go. Let's wrap it up. Man. Let's wrap it up. Church, the hope of the world... Like, when I watch the images on TV of our culture unraveling, I think about you guys, and I think, wow, I don't see that happening here. And I'm thrilled. I want you to see each other as a family. And it begin, the, the hope of peace on earth is the church. And it begins with reception. Paul says to Philemon, you need to receive Onesimus. And then it begins with restoration. Paul, you're not just receiving, but he's now a beloved brother. And by the way, next week we're going to talk about the final step of forgiveness is restitution. What does restitution look like? So that everybody feels like justice has been served. It's important. Justice is served in the gospel. Did you know that? God, I said this last week. God didn't just forgive our sins. He paid for our sins. Big difference. Jesus prayed for us. Did you know that? Jesus prayed for you. You specifically in John 17. Jesus said in John 17 verse 20, I'm not praying only for... So here he is with his 12 disciples. He says, I'm not just praying for you guys. I'm not just praying for these disciples, but I'm praying for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Verse 21. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Our unity affects the gospel going to all the ends of the earth. Isn't that cool? I've listed some resources at the bottom of your bulletin. This is one of them. Great book on racial reconciliation from every people and nation, a biblical theology of race. Man, I would encourage you to get this on Amazon or wherever you get your books and read this, okay? It deals with a lot of the abuses that the church has, church has done through the years in poorly interpreting Scripture, okay? Um, and it gives us a great theology in how we work together. Well, one of the things that I love the, the end of this book that he says, you know, we're not, we're not just working on reconciliation and forgiveness so that we can link arms and sing kumbaya, right? We don't just kind of link arms and go, hey, let's just talk about the past all the time. At some point, you move past the past and you work towards moving forward together. We're working towards something. 
And he says this, I think it's very interesting. He finishes the book by saying this, finally, the New Testament teaches reconciliation between blacks and whites and an end to the hostility between racial groups in the church. Why? In place of hostility, the church is to celebrate unity in Christ through fellowship and worship. There you go. Yes, we're working together. So at some point, we move past the hurts. At some point, if you're, as you are beginning to pray for that person I brought to your mind last week, and you've been praying this week, at some point, you, the goal is to begin to love them and then restore it and then move past it and then link arms, not just to sit around and you know, talk about sweet nothings, but to move forward in fellowship and worship. And what is fellowship? We talked about it last week. It's partnering together for the good of the gospel. It's our goal. And worship. So last week I started the series by highlighting our differences. Today I want to bring us to our unity. Man, I've sat here for two services and just listened to you guys sing the song Restoration. And I loved when Joel backed off the mic and just your voices from all walks of life in here. There's every tribe, tongue, and nation in this room this morning. And you guys sang out together to Christ, you bring restoration to my soul. Every single one of us needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God brought us together to worship him together in unity. And Jesus prayed, man, if they will do that, the world will know that I'm the Savior of this world. We can do that together, Coastal Community Church. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reminder of the gospel. Help us as to reflect on we are a forgiven people. We have been forgiven much, and as such, we can grant forgiveness. Help us to link arms together. Help us to receive restore, grant restitution, and then link arms together for the purpose of fellowship and worship to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Until the day we see Jesus face to face. And God, I pray that you'll start with us as individuals. The church is the hope of reconciliation. The church is the hope of peace on earth. So as we take that person that last week we started praying about, I pray now that you'll begin to soften our hearts, to begin to empathize, begin to love, so that when you bring our paths to cross, we would look across the table and see a beloved brother in Christ or sister in Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.